Today I'm going to jump right on into what we're doing uh, because if you've been with us over the last several weeks, we're in a series called Kairos. And it's a, a series called uh, Kairos, meaning a moment that changes every moment. And there are actual steps to Kairos. There are steps. One, it's God encounter. You, uh, when you have a God encounter, it changes every minute. But then two, it's the step is deliverance. Uh, deliverance is honestly kicking out, getting out, shutting the door, and binding the devil out of your life. i got to be honest with you. If you don't believe that the devil and demons exist, you know, it doesn't change the fact that they do. I, it doesn't change. You may not believe there's air in this room because you can't see it, but the fact that you're breathing means that it is. And the fact that you fight and the enemy fights you and the enemy is trying to hold you back or affect you is proof. Look in, you can turn around and look in your history and I promise you there's evidence that there are demons and there are devils and there are spiritual beings that have come against you from the day you showed up on this planet. And deliverance is the process of us being set free from demonic influences and spirits in our lives. And then moving into uh, inner healing and then stepping into feeling full of the Holy Spirit and feeling full of the presence of God is what we are going toward. So this is going to be the last service I preach on the deliverance side. I'm excited about it. Um, I'm ready to move on past the devil, aren't you? And so it, uh, uh, I told uh, Jennifer, I said, Jen, I'm so tired of studying demons. I'm ready to find out more about God again. But Because uh, that's what literally for the last three months I have studied and tried to read and, and you know listen to as much teaching as I can to try to bring to you an understanding of what the enemy's plan is for you on discipleship last Wednesday night. Um, discipleship principle 22 that Jesus taught was this. Be wise as a serpent, be harmless as a dove. In other words, understand the devil, but be led and live like the Holy Spirit. You know, and so that's what I'm trying to do in this deliverance part of the message here is expose, explain, and show you all the wiles, is what the Bible calls it, the wiles, the, the tactics, the plans, the schemes, the ways, the attacks that the devil tries to keep you from being free, as the Bible calls it, free indeed. And so, in this series, we've, we've gone through several things. Today, I pray to close it up. And, um, you know, at the end of this service, I want to pray with you and over you. And we bind, kick out, cast out, shut the door, and move into deliverance over every person that would allow us to. Because I'm telling you, whether you understand or believe there's a devil, he's fighting you. He knows you're there. And you can ignore him if you want to. But it doesn't change the fact that the other day, or the other day last year when I took my kids to Disney, we went and rode the Star Wars, the new uh, Imperial Strikes Back, the big new Star Wars ride, the one you got to wait two hours in line for. And when we got in there, they walked you in. And what the premise behind the ride is this, that you are caught as a rebel traitor by the Empire, and they're going to send you into this area to, um, to interrogate you. And so 
there I am with my daughters and Jennifer up there. And instead of just being people that are putting you in line, they got them all in full character. And they come up jumping in your face. Get on the orange line. Stand on the orange line. Tell us where the base is. You tell us right now. We know you know. And they're all into full character. And so I'm sitting there laughing. And Isla, my little five-year-old, one of them drops down and goes, I know you know where the base is, and you're either going to tell us or we're going to send your whole family into the interrogation room. And this is what Isla did. She, she's standing there, and you could tell tears are starting to well up. And he was sitting there, and she just went. <laughs> and she, she stood there, and he kept going, I know you can hear me. I know you. And she just sat there looking like this. I never said a word. And then we moved to the next phase. They moved to another thing, another thing. And this guy had done figured out and was messing with her all the way, all the way till we got into our pod. And he kept saying, you can, you're acting like I'm not here, but you're going to tell it. And then when we got in and it closed the door, he had gone. She said, I wasn't going to tell him. <laughs> and so, I was like, but it was like this. She, she, you know, even though she pretended he wasn't there, it didn't change the fact he was there. Does that make sense? All right, so the devil would love for you to pretend he doesn't exist. The level, devil would love for you to pretend he's not there. The devil would love for you to just decide that he doesn't have an influence over you. And he loves to deceive you into thinking the issues and the problems that you're dealing with are you. He loves for you to think you're the problem. But the truth of the matter is, Christians can be in bondage to demonic influences. Demons are real. And we've been going over this series in our Kairos moments that if you want to be free, you can be. But it starts off with, number one, you acknowledging that there is an enemy and acknowledging there is a problem. You know, there's nobody that can't get free from a demon or free from bondage or free from uh, demonic oppression unless they're not willing to admit there's a problem. That's the only people that can't be free are those that won't admit or won't acknowledge that they need to be free. And the truth is the devil convinces a lot of people that they don't need to be free. But I'm here to tell you, I want to be free. I'm tired of having the schemes, the walls, the plans, the attacks, the, the influence of the demons and the devils in my life and holding me back from all that God's called me to be. So today we are on the process. It's kind of like Palm Sunday. And I know this isn't a very Palm Sunday-like message, but it really is. Because this is kind of what demonic influence, oppression, bondage looks like. On Palm Sunday, Jesus coming riding into Jerusalem and the crowd worshipped Him. But then the rest of the week, they crucified Him. Why is it Christians can come in church and act like they're free on Sunday, but go right out the rest of the week and live just like the world and be influenced by the demonic spirits of this world? There are three enemies that Christians have to fight. Number one is they have to fight their flesh. You're, you're, you have a fleshly nature. You were born in the flesh. And you got a flesh that you have to fight. And number two is the world, the influences of this world that we're in. But then number three, demonic and spiritual darkness are three enemies that you have to fight. And, you know, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't um, discipline a demon. And so you got to be able to understand which ones you're dealing with. There are times when it's your flesh that you just need some discipleship 
And you need to learn how to be disciplined according to the Word of God. But then there are demonic influences in your life that the enemy will convince are you. And you need to realize that's not you and that's not who you are. And God has set you free and you're able to live free. You just got to kick the devil out. And so we're in this process. And so today we're going to jump into it in the course of Luke chapter 15 through the prodigal son. Um, And I want to talk to you real quick about three ways the way the devil or demonic spirits um, keep Christians in bondage. Number one, they, the way that the devil or demonic spirits keep Christians in bondage is they are in their lives. They have been given permission to be there. And so they move in and they take up residence and they take over control. And people want to argue, can Christians be demonically possessed? You need to go back over the last several weeks and understand that, yes, Christians can have demons in their life. John chapter 8 lets us know that Christians can have demons in their life. And if you don't decide to allow the, what the authority that Jesus given us, they have a legal right to reside there. Alright, so there are certain signs of a demon being in your life. And I'll give you ten right here. These are ten signs that you may have a demon in your life. Number one is if you're actively involved in occult practices. That is a sign that you probably have a demon in your life. If you are doing occult, if you are doing Wiccan practices, if you are messing with Ouija boards, if you are tarot card reading, if you are going to psychics, if you are dabbling in a constant, if you are doing satanic or occult practices, I'm telling you, there's a demon in your life. You need to be delivered from it. If you are practicing those things knowingly going into it, you have invited him in and he has an open right to be there. Number two, um, a sign that there may be a demon um, or a demonic bondage in your in your life this is in your life presently in your life it says as um extreme restlessness in spiritual environments just going to be honest with you it's not natural to not want to be closer to god you can find the hardest of the hard sinners criminals whatever out there and you ask them are you as close to god as you want to be and the answer is usually no but when you find someone that doesn't want or isn't comfortable and can't sit still in church every few minutes. They got if they're in church, or they got to get up and get out, or they can't give focus attention. They they want to. They're constantly irritable or restless in spiritual environments. They'll do anything to avoid them. Then there is a that is a sign that more than likely you have a demonic spirit in your life. Number three is hostility. When you when you and I see people all the time when you mention God, they get mad. Has that ever happened to you before? Um, when you mention God, like a good sign of this is one of the thieves that hung on the cross. When he found out he was hanging by Jesus, remember he got mad? All right, I've been on jobs. I've been working jobs. When I, I tried to train myself years ago that when I hit my hand with the hammer, the response be, is praise God instead of other stuff. And I've been on jobs a lot of times where I'm like, praise God, you know. And um, you say, okay, that's kind of sacrilege. That's better than what I used to say. So, you know, at least God's getting praise out of it. And so, I didn't, they were like, man, quit doing that stuff. Quit bringing it out. You ever had anybody get hostile? The minute God is mentioned into things. I'm telling you, that's a sign 
that there's a demonic bondage into the life. Number four, intrusive thoughts or hearing voices. If you are a person that has intrusive thoughts or hearing voices, I'm going to imagine that's not natural. Intrusive thoughts are, you know, you know, you no matter how hard you fight it, no matter what environment you're in, thoughts that should not be in your head that are foreign to who you are come in and and bombard your mind. That's not natural. That's a sign it could be a demonic spirit. You know, if, um, remember the Amityville horror um, movie that came out years ago about the murder that happened in that house? You know, when, when it was a true story and what came out of it was the young man that did it said he kept hearing voices. He kept hearing voices and he just did what the voices told him to. Won't you know something? That was a demonic spirit. And this stuff is real. All right? So if you're hearing voices, uh, if you're having intrusive thoughts, it could be a sign that there's a demonic spirit in your life. Um, uh, violent anger, self-harm, and suicidal is a sign. You know, you ever been to a place yourself or knew someone that, you know, would get so angry that it's like you just blacked out for that? You couldn't control your anger during that time? I have a cousin that I uh, got to that place. And, you know, he shot, ended up shooting his wife and shooting another guy. And when it was over, he was like, man, I just don't know what came over me. I do. I know what came over him. He had opened the door for demonic spirits into his life. And when you have violent behavior, you know, when you talk to people that got in bar fights and they just lost control, couldn't control themselves, or husbands that would beat their wives, I'm telling you, these are signs of demonic presences in your life. All right? Constant attacks in your dreams. The Bible says that demonic spirits come as terrors by night. Are you dreaming about people attacking you? Are you dreaming about you being killed? Are you, you know saying, being attacked in your dreams? That can be a sign that there are demonic spirits in your life that need to be put out. All right? A heaviness of depression. Um, the Bible says there's a spirit of heaviness um, now, not just saying that you, you're sad or you know, saying you, you just have low moods. No, I, I know what a spirit of heaviness was like. My wife, one came on her, came into our life through an open door. And in a three-month period, she went from 115 pounds to 80 pounds. In such depression, she couldn't look. She couldn't fix her makeup. She, she, people around us thought she had cancer. This was a demonic spirit that came into our house and came into our life. And we were born again, pastor and church, but there was an open door in our life that a demonic spirit will come in. And if he's allowed to stay there, he will wreak havoc. The Bible says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so when these spirits are allowed to stay there, that's what they do. And um, then number eight is um, an intense desire for defiled things. If there is an intense desire for defiled things, sexual perversion, you know, uh, things that, uh, I'm, I won't mention any, but when you, you know, child pornography is a defiled thing. When you find somebody that is, that is a, a desire inside of them that they go against human reasoning, that's a sign that there's demonic spirits into their life. I'm telling you. And that's not just who you are. 
That's a demonic spirit that's been allowed to stay, take up residence, and it is giving you those desires that are not natural. All right? Uh, chronic sickness. Is that sound? The Bible says there's a spirit of infirmity. If you suffer from chronic sickness, not cold, cough, not going through a time of, you know, say cancer or something like that. Chronic illness is when you are constantly battling something. And at times doctors can't even tell you what's wrong with you. But you're constantly ill, constantly. The Bible says it's a spirit of, of infirmity. And so that's a sign, chronic illness, that just doesn't make natural sense. And then um, number 10 is paranormal activity. And you say, Craig, I just don't believe in paranormal activity. Well, you don't read your Bible often then, obviously. Because in the Bible, all the way through the Old Testament and New Testament, there's paranormal activity in the Bible. And demons can cause things to happen in this earthly realm. And if that's taking place in your life, it's nothing to be afraid of. It just is a sign that there could be demonic activity and demonic presence in allowed or involved in your situation, all right? So, the truth is this. If those things are there, you need to be delivered. You need to be delivered. You need to have those devils cast out. You need to bind them, cast them out, and make them leave. The authority that Jesus has given us by His name allows us to do that. It is not God's will for demons to be in control of your life. Now, how do demons come in? They come in... Through open doors or open windows. Jude 2, uh, Joel 2 9 says this they run on the walls, they run through the city, they look for doors, and they come in through windows like a thief. All right? That's very important. We're going to come back to that. Like a, well, let's go to it now. Like a thief. Now, there are three ways that demonic spirits affect our lives. One, they are in our lives and they take up residence there. And those are the ten signs that there may be a demon in your life. Now, not every open door allows a demon or does a demon come in to take up residence there. There are demons that the Bible says here, like a thief, come into a house, take something out, and leave, and more than likely, they thieves want to do it undetected. If, you know, when you, a perfect crime is when a thief can break into, say, a jewelry store, get in when no one knows, no one's there, no one's paying attention, they take all the valuables, no one knows, no one's there, they get out, no one knows, no one ta- and they get away with it, and it's not till later the owners or the businesses come and open up that they figure out that someone broke in here and took something. It's not saying that the demonic spirit stays there, but the demonic spirits want to come into our lives and steal and rob and take the things that God has promised, given, and that are valuable to the Christian life. But then they don't say they want to get out with it and get gone. They just want you missing it. I said the thief only comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. And so this is usually a sign when, when Christians say, you know, there's just something missing in my life. When Christian and believers, they say other people seem to have this something and it's just missing. It could be a sign that there is a, a door or window open that a thief has regular access in. Coming in to steal your joy, steal your peace, steal, you know, the destiny and the purpose that God has for you. Demonic spirits will come in like a thief. Now, the thing about it, the Bible says this. When a thief is caught, he has to repay sevenfold. But the thing about it is you've got to be willing to catch a thief. And... Or the better yet way to do it is to prevent a thief. You know, if 
if, if you want to keep from losing the things that God has, you got to better make sure all your windows are shut and all your doors are locked. Amen? And so there are signs that you may have a door open in your life. Now, I told you we're going to Luke chapter 15, and we're taking today's out of um, the prodigal son. For the lack of time, we're not going to read through the whole chapter of the prodigal son, but this is what the Bible says. It says there was a man that had two sons, and the youngest came to him and said... Dad, I want my inheritance now. I want you to give me my part of what you have, and I want it now, and I want to live the way I want to live. And the Bible says that, and he took his inheritance. Dad, this is what it says. Let me read it to you. It's very good. We'll come back to this too. It says in verse 11, it says, And then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The Bible here says this. One translation says prodigal living. Another one says wicked living. One of them says wild living. My favorite translation to this is where it says, and he lived loosely. doesn't say he lived in sin. It said he lived loosely. Another way to say that is he didn't buckle down all the hatches, he didn't lock all the windows, and he didn't check all the doors. He lived in a way that allowed access to demonic spirits to come in and steal all the possessions that his father had given him. He lived in a way, he had open doors, and he lived in a place to the point where we find him, the Bible says, living among pigs and eating what pigs eat. Now, for a Jewish boy, that's a place that he should have never been doing what he never should have been doing. Because to Jewish people, God said those were unclean. He was living loosely, it says, or prodigally, and he found himself living among pigs and eating what pigs, living a level of life so much lower than God ever intended for him to live. That's what demonic spirit, demonic oppression, demonic bondage looks like in a believer's life. You can be a son of God, but live in a life, in a place, and in a way that's lower than God ever intended for you to live. And that comes in through open windows and open doors by you living a lifestyle that is looser than what God has called us to live. So how are, number one, they come in and they take up residence. Number two, they come in through windows and doors that we leave open for them to steal possessions that God has given to His children to supposed to possess, but they don't. Here are ten doors that are actually 11 doors that we can open in our lives that will allow thieves, demonic spirits, to come in. Not necessarily stay there. They take stuff and they sneak back out. And we start thinking, well, you know, I don't have what others have. I'm missing something in my... I don't have the joy. I don't have the heart. I don't have the desire. I don't... You know, and so we got to know these doors. Number one, the door um, of... The door that can be opened is... Uh, practices or association with the occult can open a door. Not that you're living an occult life, but it's amazing. They're in Gulf Shores uh, going down 59. It just blows my mind all the time as I go down it. Um, there's a house sitting on the right, right when you enter Gulf Shores, and it's a house, and it's got a big thing saying, uh, psychic readings, $10. And I'm shocked at how many cars are always outside there. They've almost made it like... Um, 
going down to the next thing, two down is a tattoo. You know, people going on vacation get tattoos, making, playing with the cult things, um, just part of a, or an experience. I'm here to tell you, that can be an open door in your life. If you've ever played with, dabbled in a cult thing, not saying that you're practicing, but dabbled in it, there could be an open door for a demonic spirit in your life. And the truth is this, you need to close it. If you played with Ouija boards, if you've you know, played the levitation light as a feather game, if you've uh, tried to recite as a younger person, witches and warlock, put a curse up. If you've dabbled with it, there's an open door that we need to close if you've never went back and closed it. Number two, um, the disrespecting of your parents opens up a door for the demonic spirits into your life. The Bible says this, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You need to hear this. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, is what the Bible says. When you choose to be disrespectful to your parents, all the way through the Bible, it teaches us to respect our elders, respect our mothers and fathers. It says to honor your mother and father. When you make a choice to not treat those people that God put in your life that way, not saying they deserve it, didn't say they respect those that you know, deserve it. It's one that God put in your life. It opens the door for demonic spirits into your life. Parents, I mean, I told this in the service before. I was with my kids this week, and I said something to Haley, and she rolled her eyes at me. And, I, and I've been studying all this stuff, and that seems innocent. That seems like, because the truth is, if you've got a teenager, that's happened to you. And instantly, I knew what was taking place here. There was a demonic spirit trying to open a window into our house. And this is what I told her. I said, girl, I said, rebellion's not going to control this house. And we're not going to allow that spirit in here. I said, and if you're going to give your, your eyes control to that demonic spirit, if I have to take everything else in your life for you to get control of them eyes, I'll do it. Because demonic spirit's not going to be allowed in here. I told them earlier that we believe in, in uh, punishment. We believe in punishment like that. We don't believe in abuse, but we do believe in spanking. And what I've learned is this. A swift pap on the leg will get a mouth that's running and closed real quick. You know, Isaiah, you, and you may not agree with me on that. You need to read your Bible code, but I've learned this. You know what time out does? Gives them time to think about how to do it better. And so we don't do that game. And so, man, I've decided for me and my kids, if the rebellious spirit's trying to come in through there, if they can't control, the, if they give their a demonic spirit control of their eyes, I can tell you this, it'd just be a little bit of time before it takes control of their mouth, before a little bit of time before it takes control of their hands, a little bit of time before it takes control of their body, a little bit of time before that demonic spirit takes control of their future. You better get that one in the bud. Demonic spirits are rebellion. And you, mom, dad, you say, well, I can't control my kids. Well, you start taking away from things they enjoy. I'm just going to be honest with you. Quit paying for a cell phone until they learn to control their mouth. Because what happens is, I agree, teenagers don't understand that this is demonic going on. But you do. If you're in here today, you won't be able to walk out and not know. And that is a door the enemy's trying to come into your life to open. And he'll come in and he will steal. And i got to be honest with you. I love my girls too much for let him come in and steal who they are and who God created them to be. And so that demonic, the, the disrespecting the parents, a rebellion is a doorway open into your life. Injustice for the weak and helpless. This is a door 
for the demonic spirit in your life. If you don't, if you are unjust or hateful and cruel to weak and helpless. Uh, when I was a youth pastor in Florida, there was, in the winter months, there were always, um, panhandlers come down. Homeless people would invade our city during the, um, months because it was warm there. They could come there and live and then they'd go back up north. And I had a youth group and there was this one corner that there was this one guy there that didn't have arms. They were both off at his elbows. I don't know his story. I never really talked about it. But every time I pulled up there, any money I had in my cup holders in my car, I would try to give to him. He kept a bag in his mouth. And I would just roll the one down. I'd put in there and tell him, God bless you. I'd love for you to come to church. And, um, you know, he'd just nod real nice. But I was rolling up that stop sign one day, and I had two boys in my youth group in the car. When I pulled up there, I said, man, hey, hand him that change there in that cup holder. He rolled his one down. He took the money out, and he threw it on the ground. And this guy had no arms. My youth thought it would be funny. They got on their knees and if he, for him to get on his knees and pick that money up out of the dust. And man, I slammed the brakes on that car. I got out and said, y'all get out there and pick up every single cent of that. And you put that in his bag. Because see, that's a demonic spirit to treat people that way. And when you allow yourselves to do that, you're opening a door. Now, I'm going to say this. Probably the most helpless and uh, you know, innocent people there are are babies. The devil has convinced our nation that abortion is okay and it's just part of life. I'm here to tell you, that opens doors because there's no more helpless or innocent than an unborn child. And when we allow unborn children to be killed, it opens a door for the demonic. Now, I'm not, if you've had an abortion here, I'm not bashing you. What I'm saying is this, we need to repent, we need to turn, we need to close that door and you need to decide that that's not okay in the future because abortion is hurting and in the scripture for us that one is uh is a deuteronomy 27 18 19 all right the next one is number four is a door that can be opened is sexual perversion things that are not natural in the realm of uh, people's sexual perversion like child pornography bestology uh sexual perversion that is not natural for humans is a door that opens up to incest Paul talked about a person that says that what they're doing with his mom isn't even natural for the unsaved people. All right, so that's a, a door open for demonic spirits in our lives. All right, uh, number five, racism is a door for demonic spirits in your life. It um, actually in Genesis, Genesis twelve three in Bible days it wasn't necessarily tone of skin. It was uh, nationalities and anti-Semitic spirits uh, is a racism spirit. And you can see through history how demonic spirits would be, would people would allow them in there and they would go against Jews or you've seen it go against Indians in our nation. You've seen them go against African-Americans in history. It is a demonic doorway that spirits will come in. And if you, I don't care where you was raised, I don't care how you were taught or what you think, racism is wrong. And it's a door that the demonic come into your life and try to take away. It doesn't matter who, where, what, how you were raised and where you came up at. It is a door. And you have a choice. I don't care what your parents did. You have a choice whether or not you leave that door open in your life of racism. Number six is curse things. When I was in Argentina, I did a missionary tour in Argentina. They wouldn't let us leave our 
our boxer shorts or our undergarments hanging out on lines because the witch doctors would come by because they knew we were staying in missionaries' houses and steal your intimate clothing and they would put curses on them. Voodoo dolls, um, things like that are cursed things. You say, well, I don't believe in that stuff. Well, you don't have to believe in it to be affected by it. Um, but if you have something, if you have a Ouija board in your closet, in your game room, just because you thought it was cool, these are cursed things. You don't have, these things should not have a place in your life. Should not be a place in those things because these things are not, they're not, they are doorways. And they're not demons, they're doorways that the enemy can use to come in. Alright? Number seven, Zechariah 5-4 says, stealing. When you steal, you become a thief. When you become a lit thief, it opens a door to demonic spirits into your life. And you think, well, you know, my boss don't know I still don't matter. The devil does, and he will use that door to come in to your life and wreak havoc. Say, stealing, taking someone else's property is stealing, and you become like a thief. All right? Number eight is robbing God. Now look how three eight. When you choose not to obey the way God has asked to do it, opens up a demonic spirit. And yeah, we did a whole service on that one. All right, number nine, offenses. Matthew eighteen thirty four says offenses. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that do not. It says um, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. All right, this was it. So if someone offends you, hurts you, bothers you, makes you mad, and your response is you're offended and you're angry about it, that's okay for a little bit. But it says this. It says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Because it says that, it says that, don't let the sun go down on your wrath and don't give the devil a place. Another translation, a foothold. It opens a door. When, man, it's natural to get offended when somebody hits you, hurts you, does you wrong. But you got to choose whether or not you're going to leave that door open into the next day or not. And so you have to get over it, deal with it, forgive them, go to them, work it out. You cannot let the sun go down because that opens a door to demonic spirits. Number 10, murmuring and complaining. Numbers 21, 4 and 6. When you murmur and complain, you watch it. You keep complaining about your husband and see what the devil will do in your marriage. You keep complaining about your wife. Keep complaining about your boss. Keep complaining about your church. And watch what the devil will do in those areas of your life. Murmuring and complaining opens up windows and doors for the demonic in your life. So those are the ways that doors can be opened. Another one is this. Generational curses undealt with. Me and Roger were talking about that before. Sir. Generational curses undealt with, passed down through your lineage, can be a door open. That's the sad part about it is you didn't even do anything, but the doors open. Right? You didn't even do it. Somebody else did it. But the doors open. These doors need to be closed. And if you need to understand something, there's nothing wrong with you. As a matter of fact, there's only right with you when the demonic spirits choose to make you an enemy and go after trying to destroy you and your life. That means you are a threat to them. And the thing about it is, because you're a threat means everything about you is right. The thing about it is, it's your fault if you choose not to do anything about what the enemy's trying to do to you. And so, it's our job to close it. So how do we close it? Number one, you admit that there's a problem. You admit there could be a door 
You admit that there's a real demonic spirit out there. There's, you can admit that there's real devils and real demons because you can't ever be delivered from something. You don't admit there is, there's a situation or problem that's there. So once you acknowledge and admit it, then boom, we're halfway there. Knowing is half the battle. Next thing is, in the story of prodigal son in verse 15, uh, chapter Luke chapter 15, it says this. It says that he lived loosely, and by, by the way he was living, put himself living a lower level of life than what he was intended or born to live. It says, but then he came to himself. Everybody say, came to himself. Another translation says, came to his right mind. All right? He realized and recognized. He admitted that, man, this is not the way I'm supposed to be living. And he said this, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm going to ask to be a servant and I'm going to repent. The Bible says he got up and he went to his father's house and he repented to God and before his father. Now, number one, you admit it. Number two, you have to repent from it. Now, the problem with repentance is a lot of people think confession is repentance. No, confession is confession. Repentance actually comes from a two-form Greek word and it means this. To change, some people say direction, which that is accompanied in the word um, repentance, to turn 180, but it says to change one's mind. To change one's mind. When you repent, you confess and you choose to see and think about it the same way that God chooses to see and think about it. You have to change the way you were thinking about it before to think about it the way God says think about it. And you confess it. You ask for forgiveness. And you choose to live now the way that God thinks about that situation. That's repentance. Repentance is something that takes place in a believer's life when it starts. But it will continue to happen in a believer's life for the rest of their life. Because you're going to continue to go after freedom. But you will never be free without repentance. And so you have to move into repentance. And now this is what you have to do to repent. It says when he came home to his father, he repented to God. But if you want to be free from demonic bondages and influence in your life, it can't just stop between you and God. It says, and before his father. You have to get other people involved in this thing. To close the door. You, if you're married, you need to confess to your wife. If you, you know, got pastors, you need to go talk to your pastors. I appreciate a member of our church here just a few weeks ago came in and confessed something to me. I don't want to know your junk. But I knew this, if they were willing to tell it to me, that means they were really ready to get away from it. Because anything that you choose to keep in the dark has a potential to come back. Things that are left in the dark grow. Uh, you think, well, when it comes into the light, like, no, life grows in the, dark, in, the, in the light. And so when you decide you really want to be changed, you better bring some people in on this thing with you so they can help you. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. And so, man, you confess to your pastor, you better get in a group of men, get a group of women and be able to let them know what you're... Because once a confession is made, it's no longer a fault, it's a testimony. And the Bible says, we destroy the works of the devil by the word of our testimony. Man, I got to tell you, I've been messed up for years. But what helps me get free is when I can sit down with people that 
Now, you don't confess. I wouldn't confess certain things to certain people because certain people can't control their mouth. They got a demon of gossip all over them. All right? And so you can see that. There's a, but I got pastors and I got leaders and I've got a wife and I've got friends that I can sit down and I say, man, I'm struggled in this area. I've struggled. I failed this way. And it helps me move beyond and shut doors of demonic spirits in my life. Amen. And so number one is you admit it. Number two, you repent. Number three is you renounce the lie. We've got to get to the root of this thing. If you want to be free, you have to come to a place where you renounce the lie. Now, this is when I bring up the word lie here, it brings us into the third way that demonic spirits hold Christians in bondage. Number one is they move into their life and take control of. Number two, they come in, steal, and go out. Number three is they come in and bet a lie, allow that lie to remain there, and cause it to become a stronghold. Now, this word stronghold is very important because you need to understand that in the story in Luke chapter 15, we've talked up to this point about the boy, the son, that we know messed up and blew it. He'd moved out into the world and he lived loosely. But there were two sons in this story. And then in the story, the Bible says that both were in bondage. Let's read it right here, starting in verse 25. And it says, And when his older son was in a field, as he came and drew near to the house. Now, I love this because anytime I see the word field, it brings back the representation of ministry. Kingdom. When God constantly talked about kingdom, he was talking about, you know, a farmer went into a field. Uh, Joseph, when he had a vision from God, a dream of God, it was he was standing in a field. Field represents the mission field. Jesus says the fields are white and dark. So here it says, his older son now was in a field. Alright, so he was actively involved in kingdom stuff. Alright, and it says this, And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what are these, what these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come home. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Man, that would sound like the party. He came in on the party. Everybody was so excited that the kid that had moved himself into a dangerous place and the demonic spirits and demonic oppression had completely destroyed him and messed him up has come home. You would have thought he got happy, but you need to understand just because you're not the one living loose doesn't mean you're not in bondage of a demonic spirit. And it said, but he was angry and would not go in. There was a stronghold in his life and it was keeping him from going into the life that God had for him. God wanted him to be in a life of freedom, a life of the party, a life of the good things of God. But see, there was something on the inside of him that was keeping him, says, from going in to this life. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of believers that can't move into this life that God has for them because there is a demonic bondage in their life, not necessarily by possessioning or mastership or even by thieving, come in and out open doors, but it's by strongholds that the enemy is put into their lives. And we'll break that down here in just a second. It says, and he answered and said to his father. No, it says, so it says, he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Aren't you thankful that even though we aren't where we're supposed to be, that we got a father that's willing to come out and get us? 
us. Amen. See, God doesn't just go after lost sheep. He also comes after believers and sons that are held and bound from going into what God has for them. It says that he walked, the father came out and got him. And said, it said, it said this. And so he answered and said to his father, now listen to the words that this kid says. It says, Lo, these many years... I have been serving you. So now he's got a space, a time, a history that he's been serving God. All right? It says, this many years I've been serving you. It said, I have never transgressed against your commandment at any time. You know what just showed itself here was a lie. How many parents we got in here? All right? Have any of you ever had a kid that didn't disobey? Man, four-year-olds know how to disobey. All right, so he's using absolute terminology here. You can, you can hear it. He said, I have never sinned. I have ne- Unless you're Jesus, this is not true. This is a lie. But he was convinced to himself that he had never messed up. He never had transgressed, it said. And then he said this, and it gets deeper. It says, your commandments at any time. I mean, never, not once. It says, and yet you never gave me a young goat. Now, let's stop right there. There's another lie. Because if I go back, let me read to you. If I go back to um, what we read a while ago, verse 11, it says this. And he said to a certain man that had two sons, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. See, we put our attention on the young kid that blew it and went out and got in the mess that he got in. But listen to what it says. He divided to them. His livelihood. He didn't just give the kid that wanted what he had and asked for it. It says he gave both of his sons an inheritance. And the truth be told, the oldest son in a Jewish family had the birthright. He would have got twice as much as the younger son. And here, this older son was convinced. He said, I've never messed up, never broken a can, never disobeyed, and you have never given me anything. But he had given him twice as much as he had given the other. This is a lie. There's a stronghold in his life. And it says this. It says, but as soon as your son, as soon as this son of yours came, all of a sudden now he's distancing himself from that one, made one better than the other. Man, this is your son. That's why I tell Jennifer all the time. When the girls are sweet, they're mine. When they act like that, they're your kids. All right? And we separate ourselves that way. Who has devoured your livelihood with harlots? And here comes accusations. We never know what he did. The Bible is not clear what what he did. And this other brother hadn't been at home to actually hear the stories or even know the rumors. He'd made up and he began to accuse his brother of living in a certain way. The Bible said he never lived. And there was accusations. It says, and you killed the fatted calf for him. Jealousy began to come into this picture. It says, and this is what the father said. He said to him, son, you are always with me and all I have is yours. I want to stop right here and talk about the third way the devil takes believers into bondage is through strongholds. Strongholds are a train of thought or even a thought that are demonically reinforced, or a better way to say it is supernaturally reinforced, because a stronghold can be positive or a stronghold can be negative. 
depending on the source from where this stronghold came from. Strongholds are not just a lie or a thought. They are a continuation of a lie or a thought, a pattern of a lie or a thought that is supernaturally introduced and supernaturally reinforced to continue to cause a response out of you that demands a reaction from your response and continues in a cycle. I'll show you a, 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 a t- the analogy of a stronghold. They've got a picture of it right here. And this is what a stronghold looks like. It says there's an event that takes place in our lives. When an event takes place in our lives, now this is a, the anatomy of a negative stronghold. An event takes place then a lie is introduced. Now, this could work positive as well as negative because the Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into and they are saved. A word stronghold actually represents, means fortress, strong tower, but it also could be prison or tomb. The definition of a stronghold is that. So what happens is God plan for our lives is for our lives to be reinforced and built through strong towers that come from Him. But the thing about it is, if we don't understand where our thought patterns come from, then instead of having godly strongholds in our life that keep the devil out, the enemy will embed lies into our life and they become demonic prisons that keep ourselves in. Now, this is the truth. All of us have them. And the reason why I know all of us have them is because of this. Before you were even able to comprehend or think or understand what the Word of God said, the devil was already speaking to you. One, two, the Bible said a baby can hear in the mother's womb. There were people sitting in here today that when they were in their mother's womb, they would hear their parents say, man, we didn't want this child. They would hear the, the baby. The baby would hear their parents contemplating the abortion. They would hear the parents talking about how they didn't want them. And this child was a mistake. And these lies that these babies would hear even began to affect even in the womb. Before they had a chance. One, two, three, one. Anybody reading their Bible? Anybody understanding Revelations at five? No. See, before you could even understand what it takes to break a negative stronghold, you were hearing lies, what the enemy was telling you through events taking place in your life. And where a stronghold takes place is this. When an event happens, an event happens to you. You're hurt, you're bothered, you're offended, you're you know, yelled, you're abused. There's trauma take place. When an event happens in your life, the next thing that took place before you had even a chance to think about it is the devil stepped in and would speak a lie to you. Even before you could understand. Now, there was nowhere in the Bible that it taught anybody or showed anybody that they had to learn how to hear the voice of God. As a matter of fact, Adam and Eve they did not even recognize it was the voice of the devil speaking to them in the garden. Now, there are multiple places in the Bible where people had to learn to hear the voice of God. Samuel, chapter uh, 2, the little boy took him all night one night hearing God speak 
audibly calling his name before he reckoned. So you don't got a problem hearing the devil speak. Our problem is a lot of times we can't hear God speak. And so we hadn't been taught and learned to know God's voice. But I'll see my sheep know my voice. And to know something means you had to learn it. All right, but you didn't have to learn the devil's voice. It says, in the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. It didn't say you had to learn that. The devil's been speaking to you since the day you were born on this planet. And what would happen was there would be an event that took place in your life. When the event took place in your life, the devil spoke to you a lie. When that lie was spoke to you, it demanded a defense. Whether when that when the event took place, somebody was rude or mean or hateful, or your dad was too busy, or saying, and they say, the devil said they don't love you. And then that lie demanded a reaction. So when you heard that lie, you either pulled back or you aggressed angrily. Whatever your reaction was, then that, that defense demanded a response from the other person. And that response said, you pull back. Guess what happens when you pull back? Usually people hear a lie. They don't like you. And what do they do? They pull back or they aggressively go after. They give you a response. And then out of that begins to take place another event. And this is what takes place in the area of a stronghold. The devil's been doing it to you from the day you were on the planet. An event would take place. And the way you interpreted it was the way the devil lied to you. When you took that line, you reacted or responded to that line away. It caused a reaction. That reaction then set into place a cycle. And so from time to time, the best example I can give you is this. Man, I struggle reading. Y'all know that. I have what they call learning disabilities. And growing up, it's like my brothers and sisters were smarter than me. And I got made fun of a lot. Even now, just teasing. Good brothers, they love me, but they tease me about things. But then I went to school. And I went to school because I'm ADD. I'm ADHD. I'm dyslexic. Um, I got put directly into special ed. So the teasing and the joking, the, the devil would tell me I'm stupid growing up. And then when I got into school, he would reinforce it by... Not me getting to sit. When it came reading time in class, all the other kids got their reading books out. They took me down to special ed reading. And I said, and the devil would say, you're stupid. And he'd put another brick into my wall. And then it would go forward. I'd get to where, you know, I would get into taking tests in the middle schools. And the kids in my class were acing these easy tests. And I'm making C's and D's and struggling at it. And the devil's telling me, you're stupid. And then it continued. And my mom and dad had just recently gotten saved when I was born. So they were still working out a lot of their weaknesses and their shortcoming. And my mom would tell you, her mouth was the biggest battle shaker. So my mom's thing was when she got angry, she would holler, you're a stupid idiot. She was calling all of us that, but when it would come to me, the devil said, see there, you're stupid. And he would constantly reinforce and keep building on the lie that he put in me before I even had a chance to fight it with what the Word of God says, whereas I'm wonderfully and I'm beautifully created, that I have the mind of Christ, and that, you know, God has given me every gift and tool that I need to accomplish His will and purpose in my life. And so I didn't have the tools at that point. And so the devil started using circumstances and situations, and every chance he had a chance to tell me a lie, I would take it, and I would believe it, and it would cause a response to where eventually, no longer was it just a lie, this became a fortress. And what I used to protect myself now became a prison to keep me in bound by the spirit of darkness. Think about it is this. We all have strong, strongholds built into our lives. And what you got to understand, look right in the middle of that stronghold. Towers and fortresses are built for something to inhabit and dwell in. And if you build your towers and your principles out of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit dwells there. But when you build a stronghold, when the enemy builds them out of lies, a demonic spirit has the right to dwell there.
And it will limit you. See what it said here with this kid. The lies. You could hear the lies that the enemy had reinforced and built into his life. He said this. He said, Lo, all these years I've served you. No, 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 no. Remember the younger son said, I'll go back and be a servant in my father's house. Man, he believed a lie right there. He wasn't a servant. He was a son. That father treated servants and sons different. Because when he said, I'll be a servant, when he got there, he was never allowed to be a a servant. He put a ring and a robe and he kissed him and he said, my son has returned. He never let anyone be a son, be a servant. But yet this kid believed he was a servant, even though he'd been there the whole time. Then it said this, he said, and lo, and I have never transgressed against you at any time. He believed a lie that man, I have been good. I, I don't need help. I, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm not a sinner. The devil doesn't have a right in my life. And believing a lie allowed another stronghold to come in. Then he said this. He said, um, he said, and yet you have never given me even a goat. Yes, he did. He gave him two thirds of everything that he owned. That meant that fatty calf that was killed belonged to him because the son had already went and blown the other ones. You understand the lies that was built. And so here this kid was living in the father's house. But you got to understand what it was doing. Keeping him from possessing everything that the father had given him. This is demonic oppression in a believer's life. Christians living for God, believing lies, living in a prison and in a tomb of lies that the enemy has put in their life to keep them from being everything that God's called them to be. And you're not even out there living wild. You're not even out there opening doors. You're just living in a prison, keeping from being the potential that God's created you. Listen to this, what it says. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It says, But they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what it says here is God's given each one of us tools to pull down strongholds. The reason why we've been given tools to pull down strongholds is because we all have them. The enemy has been fighting you since you were conceived. Putting strongholds to hold you prisoner, hold you back, to keep you. If he can't kill you, if he can't steal you, he can't destroy you, he will hinder you from being the son that God has called you to be. Building strongholds in your life. Here are certain strongholds that the enemy will put into your life. There are, number one, the stronghold of fear. Number two, the stronghold of anger. Number three, the stronghold of rejection. Number four, the stronghold of depression. Number five, the stronghold of abuse. Number six, the stronghold of of, um, hatred. There are 21 actual strongholds that the enemy tries to get people to live in that limit them from being sons and daughters that God has created them to be. So you say, Cricket, I don't have demonic influence. Are you all that God says that you are? And until you are, you need to understand that the enemy has put strongholds in your life to hold you back, to keep you from being. You're like the elephant that's tied to the wooden stake with a rope. Do you know the way they do that? The way they bind an elephant to a wooden stake is they take that elephant when it's too young to have the strength to pull a stake out of the ground and they tie it to it. And when he's young, he pulls and he pulls. And every time he pulls, he's too weak to pull it out of the ground. So the rope causes pain to his leg. And when the rope causes pain to his leg and he can't get that stake out, he quits pulling. And then when he actually does grow and get big and strong enough to be able to take one step and break the rope, 
He don't because there's a stronghold of a rope that was put on his leg back when it used to cause pain. And that's how the enemy tricks us. That's how the enemy holds us captive. So what do we do? What do we do? This is what it says. It says, to the mighty, to the pulling down of strongholds. Then it gives us some signs of how we can identify the strongholds that are actively at work in our lives. It says, number one, it says, we have to cast down arguments. Arguments. The way that you recognize a stronghold that is holding a believer back from truly being free and put themselves in a prison is you have to stop for a moment and think about what you think about. What thoughts, voices, or lies take place in your head that argue with what the Word of God says in the book? When a young girl looks in a mirror and says, I'm ugly, but the Word of God says in one Psalm, in Psalms 139, you were wonderfully and beautifully created, there's a stronghold. When a young man looks in a mirror and says, I've screwed up too bad. But the Word of God says that He's faithful and just to forgive him and cleanse him from all his unrighteousness. There's a stronghold in his life. When a person looks in a mirror and says, I'm unworthy, I'm incapable, that's too big, that's too hard. And the Word of God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a stronghold. Any thought that you have inside your head that argues with what the Word of God says in the book, you have a stronghold. Alright? Number two. It said this. It says, now check this out. You say, well, cricket, the Word of God is stronger. Read what it says. It's casting down arguments. And every high thing that exi- exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's what this means. It means that the lies that the enemy told that we believed because circumstances and situations lined up saying that it was true. Now, you, what you need to understand is there's a difference in what's true and there's a difference in what the truth is. What is true can be circumstantial. The truth is what the Word of God says. And there's a difference. It might be true they were rude to you. But the Word of God says that doesn't have anything to do with who your identity and what you are. So we have to do this. We have to take every brick out of the wall. And we have to look at it. And we have to realize what or where this brick came from. And then when this brick didn't come from God, we have to determine how much power we have given it in our own lives. It said this, and, check it out, it says, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, you to cast it down if it's taken exaltation over the knowledge of God. In other words, you can know all the scriptures in the Bible, the knowledge of God, and if you believe the lie is more powerful than the truth, then you're in a stronghold. Anything that I allow to be more powerful than the Word of God in my life, any feeling, any emotion, any circumstances, any event, any trauma, any situation, any lie the enemy's put in me, I'm bound in a stronghold. Because 
What happens is the word of God is quick, it's sharp, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's more powerful than anything that's ever been on this planet. It is even powerful enough to pull down strongholds. But the thing about it is I get the choice whether or not what I allow to be exalted above the other. If I allow a lie that the enemy's told me in my life to be more powerful than the word of God that I know in my life, then I'm bound in a stronghold. So how do you do it? I have to exalt the word of God over every feeling, every emotion, every thought, every circumstances, every abuse, every situation. Whatever I exalt the highest has the power to hold me captive or set me free. And so even though what I've been through is real, even though what has happened to me was true, I have to decide it's the truth that sets me free, not what I think, feel, imagine, or have been through. And so when I make that choice and I say, you know, this thought, I look at what I'm thinking in this situation and it takes work. I wish this could be as easy as kicking a devil out because it would be much easier. But the truth of the matter is this, this part of freedom doesn't happen instantly. It takes almost as long to tear the wall down as the enemy spent building it up because you have to take it brick by brick. I got to take it brick by brick out and take it, it says, and cast it down. Man, God didn't say that about me. Man, God didn't say, I, I'm, God said I'm nothing like that. And you just got to take each brick and cast it down. Because it's nothing to say that it tears down lies, it tears down strongholds. Strongholds are our accumulation of lies that the enemy has constantly reinforced your whole life to build into making you be a prison, limiting you, keeping you from being what God's called you to be. And then you have to take it up and cast it down and decide that it can't be exalted anymore. You may feel this way, but that doesn't matter. That's not what the Word says. So it means, number one, you have to make a commitment to God's Word. This is hard. Because we want God to do all the work. But to get truly free, you have to make a commitment. I've got a garden in my yard right now. I went out, tilled that booger up, had beautiful dirt and beautiful rows. Went out, me and the girls, we planted a bunch of seeds all in this garden. And you go out there right now, and you can barely see the plants coming up, but there are grass and weeds all in it. Christians that do not take this serious don't understand that a life that is not constantly committed to truth will grow weeds without you doing anything. Lies will take over your garden and you don't even have to do anything to do that. But you got to make a commitment to the truth. I got to get in the Word of God and find out what the Word of God says. Now, let me tell you, let me to prove to you what your number one or your the stronghold you should begin to go after first okay, and that there's proof that there is one. Right now, what's the greatest area of your life causing you the most stress? Do you lay awake at night worrying about money? Do you sit around worrying about health? Are you so bound up in a ball of nerves because of the way your children are living? I'm here to tell you there's a stronghold there. The enemy is built a whole area of lies. I was says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. So the areas that I sit around and I worry and constantly keep myself all stressed out about, that tells me this. I'm living inside of a stronghold in this area. 
And the only way I'm going to get out is to commit myself to find out what the Word of God says about this area. Then it says this. Next, you have to allow the Word of God. Because these are, this is how a stronghold takes root. When the devil tells you a lie, the first thing it'll do is it infiltrates your attention. Gets you to look at it. The longer you look at something, the bigger something becomes. It begins to be exalted in your life. Look how your kids are living. Look what your kids said. Look where your kids are. Look who they're running with. If that's all you see, then you it's a lie trying to infiltrate into your life. The longer you look at it, and the more attention you give it, anything you give attention to, you give power to. Next time somebody talks about you, don't say anything about it. Just pretend it didn't happen and walk on. You watch. They'll be talking about somebody else tomorrow. But when you stand up and be like, ah, they better not say that about it. They'll, they'll, you give it, they, anything you give attention to, this is a fact of life. It gives it power. And so when you give attention to what the lie the enemy's trying to get you to focus on, you're empowering that demonic spirit to build a lie and a stronghold in your life. The next thing that happens is he will first infiltrate your attention. Then secondly, he will infiltrate your confession. You will start speaking the lie. Once you're speaking the lie, the next thing it does, it infiltrates your attitude. And your attitude becomes the environment the stronghold begins to live in. And what happens is the environment that he lives in, you begin to believe that's just who you are on the inside. I'm a nobody. I'm no good. I'm unloved. That's the attitude. And so that's a proof of a stronghold. So how do you break it? You tear it brick by brick. You know, this is what... Um, I know I'm dry, but I'm, we got to get through this because we're finishing it. We're about to deliver some people. The more you stare at darkness, the more light hurts when you see it. Another way to tell that there's a stronghold is like when you're in a dark room. You ever focus trying to see in a dark room? You stare into the darkness and then, you know, you can stare into the darkness where you can actually start seeing in the dark. But the minute a light is flicked on, it hurts. That ever happened to you? Oh, turn that light off. All right? That's how stronghold works. The devil gets you to start focusing in on the lie so hard that when the truth comes in, you're like, oh. You know, I can prove it. You want me to? I can say one word. And in the area of the people that have a stronghold in this area, it's going to hurt you when I say it. Tithe. Boom. The light just came on. And boom. So people that have a stronghold of not believing that God supply. God will take care of not split a stronghold. I can say that word tithe and boom, that light hurts because the enemy has got you to put so much attention on the darkness that it, when it actually comes in, it hurts. But that's what the Word of God does. Eventually, if you light, let the light stay there long enough, the darkness flees and will be gone. But so how do you do it? Number one is just the way the just the way it comes in is when you got to understand that God has given you authority over any demonic spirit. You can cast him out. You can shut the door and says we can tear down strongholds. It's amazing what authority does. I was told the early service this morning that my little daughter came in. My five-year-old came in the other day. I was back in my room. She said, Dad, can I watch Bluey? And if you're a parent, you know exactly what that is. I said, yeah, go watch Bluey. It's a good show. And all of a sudden, few minutes later, World War III broke out in my living room. I mean, yelling, screaming, fighting. I walked in, what's going on? And I, my five-year-old, walked in the room, 
grabbed the remote from Lexi. Lexi was watching her show. She grabbed the remote and said, Dad said I can watch Bluey. Pop. And turn Bluey on. And Lexi was like, Dad, but she took it from us. I said, Baby, I'm sorry. The, the law of authority works here. She came and asked me, and I said, Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't ask me if you could watch it, so turn Bluey on. And so the authority that Dad had given her was the one that took control of that situation. Does that make sense? you got to understand, when you find out what Daddy has told you, it gives you authority over the lies that the enemy has tried to hold you back from. And so our problem is we don't commit to finding out what God says, but the way I know we commit to what God says is, first, we commit to the truth, then the truth commits to our confession. You start speaking what daddy said about the lie. I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm not, nobody likes me. That's all the lie. Man, I am what God said I am. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above, not beneath. I, my confession has to line up with my commitment to the truth. Because it's the truth that sets people free, not what's true. Today, what's true is your life may not be worth much. It's because you're bound in a stronghold. When you start applying the truth, the the Word of God to your situation and you tear down the lies that the enemy has built as a prison in your life and you start speaking what the Word of God says, the next thing that takes place is you're like, first, it, it takes you takes the commitment. Secondly, it's confirmed by your confession. And thirdly, it begins to confront the lies by your confession. You'll start saying it long enough till you believe it. You ever, you ever met anybody that's lied so much that they believe their own lie? <laughs> it actually happens with fishing stories all the time. The longer people tell they caught a fish, the bigger that fish gets to where they really believe they caught a big fish. Alright? That's the way a lie works. Truth works the same way. You commit, find out what the Word of God said, you make yourself start saying it, and you stay committed to saying it to the point where what you're saying becomes true. You start believing what you say. Even if what you've been through doesn't line up with what you're saying, the truth will set you free of what truly happened in your life. I'm not playing down anything that the devil's done to you. What I am telling you is this. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And the truth is what sets you free. So what you have to do is you have to begin to say it. Because look here. Psalms 107.2 says this. Let the redeemed of the Lord not believe it. Not let the redeemed of the Lord live it. Not let the redeemed of the Lord feel it. He says, let the redeemed of the Lord say it. And there's a lot of times in my life I have to look in the mirror. And when the devil tries to tell me a lie that, man, I'm a fraud, I'm a hypocrite, I have to say, so? I'm redeemed of the Lord. You're right. That may be the truth of what I used to be. But so what? God has set me free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So I have to tell the devil all the time, so what? I'm redeemed. So it starts there.